Good morning, church. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, you know, I heard that, you know, you hear that song and, you know, you sing along or, you know, the Lord's ministering to you while you're hearing those words. And, um, yeah, that's the reality. It's like, who else are you going to, who else are you going to turn your eyes to? <laughs> you turn your eyes to yourself, you're going to be disgruntled. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to be dismayed. You turn your eyes to the person next to you. You're going to be let down because <laughs> they because they ain't perfect. They sure ain't, ain't 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 the answer. So we lift our eyes to we lift the eyes of our hearts to our maker, to the creator, God, the one who holds all things in his hand, the one who, you know, fashioned you and, 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 and fearfully and wonderfully created you in your mother's womb. Amen. Um, I'm excited for this morning. I'm always excited, you know, and, and especially, I mean, Sundays, man, they're just, it's just a, a rich time to come here and uh, to commune with uh, the children of God. Before we get into our message this morning, I just want to share this little quick uh, excerpt. It's from a, a devotional that, that I read this week, but it really spoke to my heart. And I, I just pray that... Uh, Somebody will benefit from it. I had, you know, asked the Lord, I said, is this just for me? And and I don't feel led that it's just for me. So I got to share it. But uh, anyways, this uh, this devotional is from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. It won't be up on the screen, but um, you can follow along in, in the word of God that you have in your lap or on your phone if you want to. But I'll just read this verse and then I'll get into uh, what the whole premise of this verse means and then we'll get into our message uh, this morning so isaiah chapter 55 verse 12 it says you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace the mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands i didn't write this but i got to read this word for word because it's just it's profound uh, this exhortation from uh from this passage And it goes on to say, most people spend their lives searching for happiness. We're searching, we're seeking, we're looking, we want to be happy. We're trying every avenue. It's what we work towards every day. We want it more than anything. What we hope to achieve one day. We tell ourselves that when this or that happens, we will be happy. Only to find out that when one problem is solved, Some new challenge is right there waiting for us. We keep chasing happiness without ever feeling that we have caught it. The Bible teaches that our mistake is in thinking that joy is a goal, a destination. Joy is a path, not a place. We don't go to joy. Rather, we go through joy. This wisdom is based on the verse I just read, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. I'll read it again. It says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. This verse refers to the Jewish people leaving their place of exile and returning to the promised land. The physical exile of the Jewish people from the land of Israel also figuratively teaches us lessons about our own private exiles, what we go through, right? 
Exile represents being stuck in a state of mind that keeps us from being free to enjoy the life God has given us. Just think of your life today. Are you free to enjoy God the way He intended you? Or are you bound by something that's holding you back from the joy that's found in Jesus Christ alone? You see, notice that Isaiah puts joy before peace. This is very important to to get here, church. We mistakenly think that a peaceful life brings us joy. How many times have you heard that? That a peaceful life will bring you joy. But the reverse is true. A life of joy is what brings us peace. A life of joy. A life of joy despite your circumstances. And that's at the heart of our message this morning. The verse in Isaiah teaches us that the way to get from exile to redemption, from our broken lives to our redeemed lives, is through joy. Joy is the process, not the goal. You and I can't wait for circumstances to line up perfectly so that we might feel joy. The Bible teaches us to feel joy even when our lives are difficult. It requires us to make joy our way of life instead of spending our lives trying to attain it. And I just wanted to share that. I believe that's speaking to somebody here right now this morning. That, 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 that joy is not something that you, you reach but it is the process in which you go through life. You can have joy all throughout your experience. Amen. Well, this morning, um, we will be in James chapter 1. We're, we're going to be going through nine, uh, verses 9 down through 12. And uh, this message is entitled, Encouragement in the Face of Trials. Trials, not a, not a popular word, but something that we, we have to deal with in this life. So when you get there... James chapter 1, verses, uh, starting in verse 9. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll go ahead and read our passage. We'll pray and then we'll get into uh, the meat of our message this morning. And it says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass, its flowers, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just uh, this opportunity to get into your word this morning, to hear from you clearly. Lord, you have uh, a direct message that you have for, for your church. Lord, may we be attentive. May our hearts be set in the right place. May our minds be focused upon you this morning. May our gaze be Looking to you, as that song said, we, we lift our eyes to the maker. We, we, we need to hear from you clearly. So please, Lord, would you speak through your word? Uh, Lord, would your anointing fall upon uh, myself and your people that we would uh, be able to understand your word, rightly apply it to our lives, and uh, carry it out when we leave this building. 
So, Father, once again, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send your only son to die on that tree and uh, redeem us from uh, hell and death. No longer do we need to fear, but we could live in hope and peace and joy, knowing that you have conquered uh, the worst of the worst. You've conquered death and sin. So we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, uh, we, we, we took a look at the fact that every person that has ever walked the face of the earth lacks wisdom. Well, that's what the scripture, the scripture tells us this. Uh, now, people may have a bone to pick with that, but man's wisdom and God's wisdom is, are completely separate things. Many assume that they are wise, but they're wise in their own estimation or their own eyes. And that wisdom is but foolishness compared to the revelation and the wisdom that God has alone. Well, we, we looked at this. All lack wisdom. But it, this is okay <laughs> because there is a solution to that problem. There is a clear-cut solution to this problem of lacking wisdom. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To respond to Creator God in such a way where you have a reverent fear for Him, meaning you understand that you didn't create yourself. You understand that you don't keep your heart from palpitating. You understand that you don't keep your lungs from taking in oxygen. Everything that you and I do is dependent upon God Almighty and not yourself. So in that fact, you have a reverent fear. You begin to grow in this reverent fear of God because you recognize that your life is not your own. That there's something far greater than you that you are a part of. And, you are, and you, you've been enabled to experience this life and enjoy the Lord and all of His creation for whatever set amount of time He's given you on this planet. That should develop in you and I a reverent fear. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So... When we have a reverent fear of God, it, it begins to put us in a position to receive wisdom from Adonai. And we will develop a genuine reverent fear for God when this happens. We take the posture of being humble, humbling ourselves before God. It's a, it's a, it's a mindset that, that recognizes, again, that we are not our own, that we are not our creator. You know, there's, It's either that or we, we take the stance that... We run it all, and we own it all, and we're going to do what we want to do. There's only two extremes in this life. And even if you fall in the middle, you're still part of that category that says, I'm my own God. So we would be wise to humble ourselves before the Lord and live in that way to have a reverent fear of Him. Amen? This comes through conviction, and then conviction is applied to our lives. When, when we get that sense that like, oh man, I know, uh, I know I mess up in areas. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to have your conscience not be seared. It's a good thing to have a conscience and be like, okay, I recognize this isn't right. It's a good thing to be corrected by the Lord because the Bible says that the Lord chastens those He loves. He reproves those who are His if you, if you are never convicted, if you are never cor uh, corrected by God, you're illegitimate. That's what the Word of God says. So correct, correction in and of itself is a very beautiful and important thing. It's imperative that we allow ourselves to be corrected by God. 
You see, we can get to a place where we have hardened our hearts like Pharaoh so much to the point where the Lord just gives us over to the lifestyle that we want to live. And you know how that ends. It never ends good. So conviction is a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. Having a conscience that is not seared is a beautiful thing. And it's very important. And it keeps you humble. It keeps you sensitive to the workings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and it keeps you sensitive to people around you and the needs of those around you. When you walk in that, in that delicate way with the Lord. You see, we were also encouraged last week that if, if we ask for, for, for wisdom, and if we ask with the faith that's not doubting, that the Lord God will, will grant us that wisdom. He'll give us the wisdom we need. He'll give it to us without reproach. He, he, won't, he won't come to us like how sometimes, you know, I, just keeping it real. <laughs> sometimes, you know, um, man, you know, because children are so uh, curious. They're always asking questions. They're always talking. And sometimes I'm like, man, stop. <laughs> stop right there. I need a minute <laughs> And, and, and I need to gather my thoughts. My wife will tell you, I, I'm not good at doing two things at once. I can do one thing at a time very good, but I, I seldomly do more than one thing at a time good. And so many times I'm like, stop, give me a moment and, and I'll respond to you. And then they get even more chattery and clattery and then, and then it gets to yelling. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you, church. But you see, our God, Yahweh, El Shaddai, the, the Lord God Almighty. He's not like that. Aren't you so glad that he's not like men? When we come to him, he doesn't say, wait, hold on. If you come to him in faith, not doubting that he has all wisdom, that he has full knowledge of everything, and he can give you exactly what you need when you need it, he will grant it to you. He will quicken your spirit in a supernatural way and this wisdom will come upon you and you'll just know when you begin to read God's word, you will read it through the lens of the Holy Spirit and you will understand supernaturally what all these things mean. You're not reading it through an intellectual lens and then you get it and it clicks and you're like, wow, this word really is living and active. Because it cuts to the heart of everything in my life. Every time I open up the word of God, it always speaks to me. It's always convicting. You see, it takes a, it takes a decisive mind to be okay with that. To open up the word and know you're going to be corrected every time you open up the word. That's why many people don't want to come to a church service. Or many people don't want to open up the word of God. Or many people don't want to fellowship with the real believer who's really walking with Christ. Because the reality is, conviction is at the onset of everything. We're undone people. Let's just admit it. So then we can move forward and then we can go from glory to glory. You don't go from glory to glory without conviction. The medicine must be taken in order for you to get healed of whatever sickness you're being is an ailment in your life. And that medicine is Christ. It's the conviction of the word of God. But that conviction opens up the door for you and I to go from glory to glory. How many people want to go from glory to glory in their lives? It's very saddening to me that I come across 
What I believe is too many, and I get, I get it. We're all going to go through stuff. But I, I seem to find so many Christians, and it's like, they're not on fire. It's like, why are you not on fire for the Lord, man? You know, and, and, and don't, I, I can't stand that. Don't ever No sound. Me. No sound? All right. Sorry. I bet I'm going off. All right. But it's like, I'm here now. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I'm no one special. Right? This is the reality. I'm no one special. I'm just one person. If, if, if I'm experiencing this move of the Holy Spirit in my life, and, and I'm seeing myself in the Lord going from glory to glory, I mean, I, I, got, I got stories. I mean, we all had them, right? I got stories upon stories that I could tell you that are real life, true to life things that have happened in the last 10, 12 years of my life, where it's like, that's all the Lord. And, 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 and he's taken me from such a place of such darkness. And all I'm experiencing, even in the difficult times, is his love and his mercy and his grace over and over and victory over victory over victory. Don't tell me because you're a pastor. That's a crock of nonsense. Because a pastor is just a servant. We're all servants. That, that, that's, that's, a, that's a title. That's not who I am. I am. I am a Christian, and my name is Keefing. That's who I am. If I can experience victory upon victory, then that means other people around me can experience that too. I get so fired up when I come across Christians that are on fire. And what I've noticed, at least in my own time, is a lot of times it's people that are older, older than me. They're, 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 they're those that you would look at and you'd be like, oh, well, you're not that strong. But again, God doesn't look at the outward shell and the frame of a man or a woman. God looks at the heart. I'm not saying young people can't be on fire for God. But we're, we're, living, in a, we're living in a generation where our young people are so immersed with all the nonsense of this world. And their minds are being obstructed by so much garbage that they have a hard time tapping in to the power and the authority of God because they are, are so involved in all this other stuff that just pulls them away. And it's usually the person that's like, man, I walked in the world for 30 years and some calamity happened and now I'm, I'm, I'm right with the Lord and I'm riding hard for Christ. But I get so excited when I come across men who are on fire for God. Because we are soldiers, women too. You are soldiers in the Lord's army. This is the reality. This isn't no mamsy, pamsy thing. Yes, you can have your tea and crumpets, whatever you want to do. But this is a war. This is real, man. This ain't no joke. And we are not fighting uh, a fight of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And, 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 and there's certain things that we need to develop as believers but it's like once you, you taste that, 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 that strength that the Lord puts upon you, that anointing, man, uh, it's infectious. I, I don't want to say it's addicting because that's an abusive thing. It's, it's, not, it's not addicting in the sense that you would abuse it. But it is something that once he grabs a hold of you, you don't ever want to go back and you want more and more of him. And you want to go from glory to glory. You want to experience life even in the tough times and still come out on top. That is intense and that is what God wants to do with you and with me. There's no reason we shouldn't all be on fire for Christ. Because look at the other option. 
What else is out there for you? You see what the world has to offer. And it doesn't offer anything worthy of anything. All it does is take, take, take. Sin overpromises and undelivers on every front, every time. You can play now. You're definitely going to cry later. It's not worth it. But you roll with Christ. You roll with Jesus. And you will experience the greatest journey you've ever been on. I remember Mark Mills told me that a long time ago. He said, said, you know, the Christian life, it's the the most adventure you're ever going to have. It's always exciting. It's never a dull day. If it's dull, it's because our eyes and our hearts are dull. Because we've taken our eyes off of God. But every day, every breath that you and I live, there is so much to be done for the Lord's kingdom. To be about our Father's business. And He allows you and I to partner with Him and be a part of this. It's such an amazing thing, church. Amen. But you see, if we are double-minded in our thinking, we will receive nothing from God. See, he has to be everything to us. That song said, my lover. You see, people hear that in the world. They lover, where do they always go? Their mind always goes to the gutter. They're always thinking about some kind of sexual relation or some kind of intimate relationship with a person, with another human being. But they're talking spiritually in that song, talking about my lover. My lover of all things is God. Right? He is who? He is the bridegroom and we're the bride. We are to love him. He is to be our lover. We are to be his. This, this, is, this is what should undergird our decision making in this life. But if we haven't come to this place of a reverent fear of God, we'll never get to this place of having an intimate relationship with him. You cannot have intimate relationship without a reverent respect for God. That's just how it works. We don't want to be, we don't want to be unstable in our thinking. We don't want to be tossed like a wave in the ocean by every wind of doctrine. You and I, church, have to know this word. We have to get this word so deeply implanted within our soul that it governs our lives. And everything we do is based off of this book because it's the only thing that will save you. Amen? We have several main points this morning. And uh, the first one is this. We must allow the wisdom we receive from God to shape our view of reality. You see, this is very important because perspective and perception is everything. You have two different people looking at the same exact thing and the perspectives can be just worlds apart. (laughs) We have to have the biblical worldview on what's going on around us. If we don't, we're going to come to all kind of off-base conclusions and those conclusions will leave us leading other people astray if we are not correct. You see, in our text, James calls Christians living in humble or lowly circumstances to take pride in or to boast about their exalted position in Christ. Whether they're poor or they're rich, he said, don't, 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 don't boast in your richness in worldly wealth. Don't boast in your poorness boast in your exalted position in Christ. You see, it always comes back to Jesus. It always comes, it has to. <laughs> because all everything else is just like a bag that has holes in it. 
And by the time you get to your destination, that bag is going to be empty and you're still going to have a hole in it. But with Christ, you take all the goodness of Jesus with you wherever you go. And that's the difference between the two ways of thinking. You see, James is pointing out that it's not the circumstances of this short fading life that matter the most. So many times we're so focused on, I have this and I'm good. Or I don't have all of this and my life sucks. You know, and we base our worth on what we have obtained in this life. Whether it's finances whether it's love from another person. I know so many people who are so down and out because they're not married. It's like, bruh, <laughs> do, you, do you realize, again, if you haven't come to a reverent fear of God, you don't want to be married. Because being married means you die to yourself again. All the selfishness in you goes out the door and your spouse comes before you. Are you ready to take that on? Are you ready to say no to all the things you want to do and say yes to all the things he or she wants to do first? It's raw. You see, we paint this fake picture. The easiest thing is walking down the aisle. It gets real once you once you get back from the honeymoon and then you're like, dude, what? What are you doing, man? Put that stuff in the hamper, man. Put down the seat. Why you leave the toothbrush like that? Why you got the toothpaste all over the place? Look at the dishes, man. The garbage needs to be emptied. Why you snore? Man, I need ear, I need earplugs. I can't even hear myself. Thank you, snore so loud. But you see, these are things that we have to take into account. But again, it starts with dying to ourselves, having a reverent fear of God. We can't look to the things we have or don't have to define us in our worth and our value in this life. It is the position that we hold in Christ that is significant. You see, the ability for a poor Christian to declare that he or she is in fact a child of the king with riches beyond what they can imagine and to truly mean it, right? I'm not talking about just give me some spiritual answer like, how you doing? Oh, brother, praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Yeah, but how are you really doing? When, when a child of God is able to say that they truly trust in him, no matter what they're going through, this is evidence that they are trusting in God the Father in that moment. But when believers are consumed with sorrow, regret, envy, despair, because of their limited resources in life, we show that we're not convinced of the reality that God is eternal and holds all things in his hands. It truly shows that. When, 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 I'm, I'm talking about we're living in a place of sorrow. We're always sorrowful. We're always like regretting everything. Or we're always envying. You know, we're looking at people that are doing good and we're like, man, how did they get that? You know, it's like an envious heart. It's like, dude, can't you just be happy for that person that they're thriving? But when we live like this, we're showing that we don't really trust. And, and, and God is telling us all the time, don't be conformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, church, we have to... Not conform to this world. 
When we're conformed to this world, we're tripping off what everyone else has or what everyone else doesn't have. It's not good to gauge your wealth and your judgment and your value of yourself based on what someone else has or doesn't have. Because then you're always going to be either further back or ahead of someone else. Well, I'm not as bad as this person. <laughs> I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. But then you go over here to the next, to the next cat and then you're like, man, they're blowing me out the water. Now you feel, now you feel like crap. <laughs> you know? We got to base ourselves off what does Jesus say about me? What does the Bible say about who I am? I'm a child of the Most High. I'm a child of the King. I've been grafted into this heavenly kingdom and I'm part of His. I'm not of the world. But this happens by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to have the mind of Christ. We can't be thinking through the lens of what we see. We can't be thinking through the lens of all these different philosophies that try to bleed into our lives. We have to go with the revelation of God through His Word and use that as the compass that guides us in our daily lives. Amen? We must allow the Word of God to shape our perspective of ourselves and others and the world that we live in if we want victory. If we want to live with joy, if we want to live a life that's led by wisdom from the Holy Spirit, we have to allow this word to shape our thinking. The second main point is this. Our social and financial position in this life is temporal at best. It's temporal at best. None of this will last. Um, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. You, you hear me say this all the time. I, I, I don't have a problem with having stuff. I got a brand new pair of shoes on. Nothing wrong with it. It's cool. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel bad. You know, my, my wife's birthday's coming up uh, next month. She'll be 40. And, uh, you know, she wants to do something nice. And uh, you know, she doesn't do a lot for herself. And, and, uh, and you know, in, in our marriage, and I'm not divulging too much information. I think it's okay. I'm the spender. I'm the spender, straight up. I'm the spender. I'll spend. And, and, and then and I'll tell her, go ahead, buy yourself that. You know, it's all good. Don't you don't gotta you know trip out. It, you know, you want a pair of diamond earrings? Rock them. Shoot, I'll help you look. I, I might want to get my. <laughs> but I just I'm just being honest. You know, because I'm like, what? You know, we're 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 not we're not we're not blowing money. We're not living like like fools. We're not living recklessly. But you know, my wife. You know, she she's she's very. Uh, modest in that way but I tell her you know it's okay it's okay to treat yourself every once in a while it's not a big deal because what because I the Lord knows where your heart is and all this stuff is temporal it doesn't matter you're not taking it with you it's not a big deal James compares rich people to wildflowers you see as beautiful as they may be in the morning the sun will quickly shrivel them in the heat of the day their beauty only lasts for but a season. On an eternal scale, the rich person will fade away quickly, even as he goes about his business. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8 tells us, A voice says, Cry! And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
How many of us know that verse and love that verse, that portion of Scripture? I mean, it tells us right there. All this stuff is temporal, but it's the word of the Lord that will remain forever. And that's what we need to build our lives upon. Because when you build your life upon the word of God, you are going to be in the right perspective, in the right frame of mind to to deal with any circumstance and situation in life. That's why I always say it's not about the money. Because there's people that are, are broker than broke and they're wickeder than all get out because their hearts aren't right and they're not living for God and vice versa. Then you can have someone who's uber wealthy, but because their heart is right and they're not trusting in their wealth, the Lord knows they're going to steward that wealth and they're fine because they got peace with God. It can go either way, but it's not about being poor or about being rich. It's about what are we proclaiming? Who is sustaining us? Is it God or is it ourselves or is it money or is it our lack of money? It should always be. It's Christ who's sustaining me. It goes back to who are you on fire for? How can you be on fire if you don't have a reverent fear of God? If you have a reverent fear of God, then everything's going to have its proper perspective in your life and you're going to be okay with little and you're going to be okay with a whole lot. But you're not going to waver or change because your eyes are fixed on Jesus. That's what Paul talked about. Learning to be content in all circumstances. From the perspective of worldly wisdom, wealth is a high achievement or a sign of status. We all know, you know, it's like, you know, we just assume, man, that person drives a Mercedes Benz. They're well off. We don't know. We see every person in a glimpse of time. That person can be broke and their credit line can be stretched to the max. They don't even own that car. <laughs> you know, it's all on credit. And Or they could be in a better situation. Or someone, the Bible talks about that. People portray themselves as poor and they're wealthy. But they just don't indulge in all the stuff that, that many people that like to show off or flaunt that they have some kind of status in this world do. And vice versa. So it's not about that. But for those who truly believe God, no matter rich or poor on this side of eternity, is far less important to them. They're not concerned about all this because they have an eternal perspective. They're focused on the kingdom of God that's at hand. And they're trying to be about their father's business to the best of the God-given ability that he's given them. To be able to carry out and use everything that he's given them, their strength, their mind, their heart, their talents, the resources so that they could edify people and glorify God in all they do. And that's what we should be focused on, whether we're rich or poor in this society. It's what are we doing for God's kingdom? Christians who make temporary wealth their highest priority reveal that they are not trusting in God. Paul wrote that because of a lack of faith in the area of wealth. Christians may fall into a trap and pierce themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 tells us, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You see, every, everything has to be in its proper perspective. And everything has to be ran through, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do? You know? I don't... I, I, you know, I'll go out there on a limb and say it. I don't believe a pastor should be walking around with a million dollars worth of jewelry preaching behind the pulpit. I mean, come on now. We, we and Daniel were just talking earlier in prayer, and it's like we, ha- we, have such, we have such an over and abundance in this country. We forget what it's like 
There's people that don't have three square meals a day. They don't. They don't have three square meals a day. They don't have a hot meal. They don't have a hot water. They don't have clean water. They can wash their hands and they can bathe and take a shower or drink water that's precious that'll keep them alive. But yet we live in a culture, in a society that has an over and abundance. Even in a food shortage, we have an over and abundance. We hoard everything from the vaccines to everything. What are all these vaccines for, man? <laughs> we just, we're just taking them all. But it's like, where, where is our perspective? Where is our perspective? Because other people don't have much. We have so much that we forget what life's really about. And we get caught up. The word of God says the love of money, this lust, this sensational lust to have more. What did Rockefeller say? How much, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. <laughs> just just a little bit more. I already got all that I need for a couple generations down, but if I just obtain a little bit and I, and I, I understand I know how un, I understand somewhat business. Yes, you have to invest. I get that. but there is a way to go about it where you're not money hungry and your soul is wrenched out of you and all you're living for is obtaining more wealth, whereas it's you know the business is being what the business is being and you're able to not only support yourself but you're being a blessing to other people and your money doesn't have you we as believers need to keep worldly wealth and possessions in their proper place like i said there's nothing wrong with having things there's nothing wrong with enjoying things but there's a problem when those things are controlling us and they have us hook line and sinker and we're bound to them and now they've become idols in our lives and we worship those things and we put god to the side like i said I enjoy the 49ers. Um, maybe I haven't gone um, tailgating because I just haven't gone to a game. But it's interesting to me that people will root and shout and scream at the top of their lungs at their television or at a stadium, but they will not praise God in a church service. They won't even lift their voices to God, but yet they yell for a man that doesn't even know them and is making so much money that they could care less about him. But yet we're yelling for these people. We're irate. <laughs> about all of this and that and it's like they don't care about you not the way you think our perspectives have to be in the right place win or lose i'll tell you right now i ain't crying over the 49ers it ain't that deep to me i am not going to lose no sleep whether they win lose or whatever they do because it's not that deep to me it's in its proper perspective i'll enjoy it but now I'm not obsessive. I'm not a fanatic. You know, it's very interesting. I heard this message this morning and I just got to share this because it just came to me right now. Does anyone know what the word amusement means? So amusement actually means to not think. Amuse means to think. And when, when the word amusement means to not think. So we spend billions of dollars in this country every year to not think. We go to Disneyland to not think. So we can be, you know, and I'm not saying that for every person, but I'm get the general overarching theme of what I'm trying to say to you, church. A large part of what our culture does is try to get away from dealing with reality but this Bible forces you and I to come to terms of what's going on in our lives. 
And we have to give an account of who we say Jesus Christ is. And once we settle that, now we got to walk in it. You can't just say you're a follower of Christ and live like hell and not grow and not grow in your stature and not grow in the fruit of the spirit. There, there's got to be growth. There has to be. Your families are depending upon it. Your neighborhoods and your communities are depending upon it. Some of you are the only Christ that people are ever going to see. And if you're not growing in your walk with him, how are you going to be effective for the kingdom of God? Because it's your sphere of influence and my sphere of influence that we are going to be accounted for when we go before the Lord. <laughs> He's going to say, what did you do with my son? And if we're not opening our mouths because we're not living right, then shame on us. We got to get right so that we can be used effectively for his kingdom and for his service. It's a matter of life and death. It's there, there's urgency. There's so much bad stuff going on in this world. It's so urgent. And we have the truth. We can tread on any scorpion. Smash out any demonic force through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to live afraid. I'm tired of seeing Christians living afraid. What are we afraid of? No demon can do nothing to you. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. That demon got to bounce. They smell the holiness in your life and they can't do anything about it. We carry Christ with us everywhere we go. We should be showering people with love, man. It's just a love just dripping off us, man. You know, it's like Ebenezer Scrooge, his heart just melts because he knows. And you, you don't got to be brash about it. You don't got to be all super spiritual about it. You just got to love on people, man. Genuine. Be genuine. Genuinely care for them. Praise God, man. Thank you. Love you, bro. Love you, sis. It's like little things like that. People pick up on that. Who's, who's doing that? We as the church are the ones. The world does it, but they have no power because they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. The church, we're the ones that have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're the ones who've been commissioned to go out and bring the good news of the gospel to every person we come across. That's for somebody. <laughs> that's for somebody. Even if it's just for myself, that's for somebody. Third main point is this. Those who remain faithful to Jesus Christ, despite their trials, there goes that word, will receive the crown of life. You see, the choice to keep trusting God in the midst of trials brings his blessing. That's another way to receive blessing. You see, we have to position ourselves in such a way that we are able to receive the blessings from the Lord. We can't only be blessed when things are good. We can't. That's not real Christianity. Tell that to all them cats back in the day that were getting burned at the stake for their faith up in England. That's crazy, man. They were burning these cats left and right for not renouncing their faith in Jesus Christ. Tell that to the Christians that were in the Middle East uh, how many years ago and they were getting their heads chopped off for professing Christ. And I'm sure it's still happening. Tell that to the Christians in China that are getting exiled and excommunicated because they, they refuse to bow to whatever communist leaders over there in China. And they're saying, no, man, I, I profess Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. You see, so we can't just receive his blessing when things are good. Think about your life right now. And think about the things you're going through right now. Think about the things your family's going through right now. You can still receive blessings from God despite all the difficulties you're going through. But it's a choice. Who are you going to be obedient to? Who are you going to seek in your time of need? By you standing 
Despite the trials you're going through, it incurs his blessing. Our circumstances may be hard, but we have his approval. Everyone goes through hard times because it's the nature of this fallen world. We go through hard times because we live in a sinful world. There's no way around it. Every single person goes through it. God is on the side of those who trust him through life's most difficult moments. Those who maintain trust in God during hardships will receive the crown of life. This mysterious crown is an additional reward given in eternity for Christians who refuse to stop trusting God when their trials on earth become difficult. You see, many people turn away when, 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 when the heat gets turned up. They're like, I'm out. I'm bouncing. I'm going back to the world. Go back to the world. That's not cool, man. Hey, the world ain't got nothing for you. Stay in it. Even though it's tough, stay in it. Stay the course. Do not give up because you're going through trials. It will get better. The Lord promises. He will reward those who are faithful to him with this specific crown. Very similar language is used by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation when he quotes Jesus making this very promise to those who are faithful unto death. That's in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Paul and Peter also write about crowns to be given to faithful Christians. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 tells us, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That, that includes us. <laughs> that includes us. You, you get to partake in that. This verse makes the connection between our love for God and our ability to remain faithful to him in hard times. Those who truly love God and trust in him are those who truly trust him and continue to obey even when life gets hard. Trust in the Lord even when it's difficult. Don't, don't, don't allow your integrity to be compromised just because it gets difficult. Just because people are going to slander you for your faith. Just because people are going to mock you. They mock Christ. If they mocked him, what do you think they're going to do to you? They're going to talk smack. So what? So many people are scared because they want approval from men. It's like, I could care less. I'm too old for that. I really, I don't, I do not care. <laughs> it's, it's not a big deal to me anymore. It's not high school. It ain't no popularity contest. Look for the approval of Christ. Amen. All right. Verses 9 through 11. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Okay, so we see this first statement. It says, let the lowly brother or lowly person, right? Brother or or brother or sister glory in his exaltation. The great equalizer, we all know, is the cross. The great equalizer is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter your ethnicity or your cultural background. It doesn't matter your position of authority or your lack of your position of authority in society. It doesn't matter your social economic status. All are brought low in humility at the feet of Jesus Christ. Nobody can boast before him. Nobody can boast in themselves. Nobody can boast in what they have. All are humbled before him. This is exactly what these verses are speaking to. As much as it is appropriate for the lowly, the poor, to rejoice when they are lifted up by God, it is also appropriate but extremely difficult for the high, the rich, to rejoice when they are brought 
to humiliation by trials. Because what? Many times the rich trust in their money. What did Jesus say? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for than a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Because they, you know, they trust in the riches so much. The, the rich young ruler, he went away weeping. He said, I kept all the commandments. And, you know, to what we understand, Jesus didn't say, no, you didn't keep them. But then he said, man, take everything you got, sell it to the poor and follow me. And he went away and wept bitterly because he had such an attachment to the things. I don't know how he obtained it. Probably working hard, maybe investments. Maybe some of it was granted to him through family. But he could not break ties with stuff. And he went away bitterly. That's what I'm talking about where we can't allow the things of this world to have us to where when Jesus says, give it all up. You have, we were talking about that in prayer. The reason why Saul was messed up is because he reserved. He didn't, he didn't annihilate. What were their names again? He didn't annihilate them. The Lord gave Saul and said, get rid of all of them. Eradicate them. And he left some alive. When we leave a little bit of sin alive in our lives, we're struggling with, say, pornography. Like, okay, well, I haven't been doing this, but then you haven't eradicated phone numbers out of your phone that you know you shouldn't be talking to these women or men. You're leaving the door open. And what, guess what's going to happen? At some point in time, you're going to be tempted and it's going to come back and bite you in the bud. Bite you in the butt, I mean. Nip it in the bud is the other way, right? <laughs> is that a gardening term? I don't know. But you get the point. We got to eradicate stuff out of our lives. If not, we leave, we, leave a, we leave a hole for Satan to come and slither in and try to worm his way into our lives back again and mess us up. Speaking of the, the rich and the poor, because we know that the rich struggle with this, but, but a poor person, are they supposed to boast in their poverty? Absolutely not. I share this because some have twisted this, this, this verse or this portion of scripture and, 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 and gone around almost flaunting and bragging of their poverty. Rather, the truth is poor boasts because of their redemption found in Christ alone. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 tells us, For you knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, it's all about spiritual application. It really has nothing to do with the physical. Whether you're rich or poor, we have to find our identity in Christ. Christ was rich, made himself poor, so what? We then could become rich in spirit and in truth by trusting in him. The application is this. As the poor person forgets all their earthly poverty, so the rich person forgets all their earthly riches. <laughs> It's about an identity in Christ. By faith in Christ, the two are equal. One's not greater or less than the other. You know, it's like I get that picture of Samaritan's purse, and it's like, you know, I mean, they obviously have a vast amount of wealth that they're able to do all the things they're doing. And it, 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 it helps because the, the people that are receiving it need that help. Now, who's greater or less? No, neither. That's like the parable when, you know, these workers come <laughs> to, to the field and, and, and they work early in the morning. And then the, the owner of the field is hiring people all throughout the day. And the people who got there first said, well, how the heck did, am, I getting, how am I getting paid the same amount as them? 
That's salvation in Christ, man. Christ don't love the Samaritan's purse people more than the people that are receiving the gifts from Samaritan's purse. He loves them all equally. It's understanding that our richness is in Christ. Because you don't want to get caught up on either end. You want to, you get caught up in this, you're going to think you can boast because you've done so much for the kingdom. And that's, that's wrong. And then you could also boast because now, you know, well, I've received this and that. But it's not that. It's about just trusting in Christ alone on both ends. There goes that word faith again. By faith in Christ, the two are equal. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ alone that one can come to this conclusion. Any other way, you will be clinging to either your poverty or your riches. May our riches be found in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Goes on to say, because like a flower of the field, he will pass away. Speaking of the rich person. Now James moves on to address the wealthy of this world. Trials serve to remind the rich and the high that though they are comfortable in this life, it is still only this life which fades as the grass grows brown and the flowers fade away. An example of this in the land of Israel, there are many kinds of beautiful flowers that that spring to life when the rain comes, but they only last for a short time before they wither away. There was one time, it was early on when me and Veronica were married and, um, you know, her her birthday, I spent $100 on a bouquet of flowers. She said, don't ever do that again. Don't ever spend $100 on no flowers. I mean, they were pretty. They were cool. As nice as they were, they only lasted for about a week, a week and a half, and they shriveled up and died. She said, why would you spend $100 on flowers? I said, really, I didn't know what to get you. Just don't ever do that again. <laughs> don't ever do that again. On a scale of eternity, this is how quickly the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. It only lasts for but a short time. And then it's done. And then you're done. And then where's your security? Where's your hope? Where's your salvation? It's not in the stuff. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will, will stand or remain forever. The application is this. The riches of this world will certainly fade away, but James is saying that the rich man also fades away. We all fade away, so you, you better be fading into Christ. <laughs> or you're going to be fading away into oblivion, into hell, apart from him for eternity. If we put our life and our identity into things that fade away, we will fade away also. How much better... To put our lives and our identity into things that will never fade. If a person is only rich in this world, when they die, they leave their riches here. There's no U-Haul attached to any hearse. I know you guys have heard that, right? But if a person is rich before God, when we die, we will go where our riches are in Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 through 21 tells us, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." He tells us clearly, whatever is most important to us, that's where that's where all of our life is. And if our life's not wrapped around Christ, then our lives are going to be wrapped around other things that are going to fade away. All right, last verse, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, 
he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man. This sounds like one of Jesus' beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. In those great statements of blessing, Jesus did not tell us the only ways we can be blessed. There's other ways. Here we learn we can be blessed as we endure temptation. Enduring it. We all know what it's like to be tempted. The word here says you are blessed. You receive blessing. You incur blessing from God when you endure temptation. Notice the text doesn't say blessed is the man who is never tempted. Because <laughs> that's not reality. <laughs> you probably were tempted on the way here. Some of y'all, you're tempted every Sunday when you walk through that foyer. Because them donuts are sitting there or that coffee's there. And you're like, I don't need to be eating or drinking that. <laughs> but in any event, we're tempted all the time. We're always tempted, either by our own flesh or by Satan. Notice the text still doesn't say, blessed is the man who finds all temptation easy to conquer. Temptation is not easy. That's why it's a temptation. If it was easy, you wouldn't be tempted. Tempted means, man, it's taking every fiber in your being not to get caught up in a situation. Again, we see this because temptation is not an easy thing to say no to. This is why so many people fall into it. Because, I mean, look, to gratify your carnal flesh and whatever, I'm not just talking sexual, but anything, right? To gratify your car, my carnality, that's just the way of the world. That's just the way, that's our natural inclination. So it takes no effort to get involved in what, it takes no effort for me to eat, you know, a, a whole Little Caesars pizza in one sitting. Why? Because my flesh is like, feed me, feed me. And then I feel sick for a half hour after that. But the reality is it takes no effort. <laughs> it takes no effort to eat half a cake and be like, oh, dude, it's because it just tastes so good. You know, and people that go on benders, anyone that's had a, ever had an alcohol problem, it's no, it's no problem to drink a whole, a whole bottle of Jack or a 24 pack of beer when you're in that state because that's your natural inclination. It takes no effort at all. It takes a whole lot of effort to say, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm going to feed my spirit I'm going to feed my soul. It takes effort to say, you know what? I'm going to crack open this book and I'm going to spend time in God's word. It's not about anybody else. It's about me getting fed because I need to feed myself so I can be right. So I can be built up with integrity so I can walk through the day and not succumb to every single temptation that, I, that comes upon me. That takes effort. That's getting in there. We have to do our part, church. God is not just going to shower down blessing when we're not doing anything at all. I'm not saying we're saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Nonetheless, we are called to do. We are not called to just sit. We are not called to just be in a Christian bubble the whole time and have no friends that are unbelievers. That's not real. That's not how people get saved. We have to rub elbows with the world. Don't get turned out by the world, though. Instead, the promise of blessedness is given to the one who endures temptation. Enduring it. Despite the temptation, you still hold your integrity. You still hold to Christ and say, I'm not going there. You're not getting me, devil. Not today. The application is this. There is a special gift of blessing from God to the one who can say no to temptation and instead say yes to God. 
Store that in your memory bank somewhere. There is a special blessing for you when you say no to temptation and say yes to God. I don't care what your circumstances look like. I don't care what the world around you is saying. God is revealing to you through his word that there is a special blessing with your name written all over it every time you endure temptation. For when he has been approved, that's the next statement. Here James states the purpose of God in allowing temptation. The purpose is to approve us that through the testing we might be revealed as genuine and strong in our faith. You notice anybody that you're around that's a solid Christian, they're strong for a reason. (laughs) They're strong because they've gone through it and the Lord is approving them. That's what I'm, again, I'm talking about going from glory to glory. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a lot of work that has to be put into it. There has to be a lot of decisive decisions that are being made about this is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm going to stay with him. I'm going to be engaged in the word. I'm going to be in fellowship with the saints. And you grow in strength and stature in the Lord to where you're able to endure the temptation. And you're, you're being approved every time more and more. An example I like to use is look at the military. You don't just sign up. (laughs) You don't just sign up and get your stripes. That's just one step. You must go through a rigorous training and testing physically, emotionally, mentally before you become approved as a soldier in the military. And yet being approved by El Shaddai is far greater than any acceptance in this world. In the same way, you know, I know that we're saved by grace, but what I'm saying is, There's a part we have to play. We have to be intentional in our walk with the Lord. If we're all humdrum and there's no discipline in our lives spiritually, how can we grow? How can we be effective soldiers? How can we be an effective witness? But when you're doing all these things led by the Holy Spirit in his power, man, you're on fire, man. And just just, the blessings are falling off of you. People are being blessed left and right. You just come into the room and you're blessing people because the Holy Spirit, the anointing is just falling off on the people. Trust me, I've seen it. It's crazy. It's like people will say it's not real, but it's real. The anointing will be falling off of you because you're living in such a way that's pleasing to God. And so his favor is always with you. And it's like, what? That's such a beautiful thing. I just I pray that people experience this because it's such a good thing. Those who endure temptation. Temptation is one of the various trials that we face. As we persevere through temptation, we are approved and will be rewarded as the work of God in us is evident through our resistance of temptation. The evidence of God working in your life is you seeing yourself not falling to temptation. (laughs) Because it's not in your strength that you're saying no to temptation. It's all him. But you're yielding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit saying, don't go in the refrigerator. Don't make another sandwich. You don't need to. (laughs) Don't take that extra cookie. You don't need to. Don't don't falsify those taxes because you don't need to. Give that money because you need to. Don't withhold it. How many times we come in and we're like, you know, this is the only time I've ever talked about money in the church. But it's like sometimes we're like, or forget in here. Maybe we're outside and we see someone who needs help and we're like, I don't got time. I'm running late. (laughs) It's like, there's a need, man. 
I need this 20 Really? Do you really need that $20? That person, dude, man, holes in their shoes, looking like they ain't had a bath in a year. And it's like, give them the money. You'll be blessed. They'll be blessed. Sometimes we, we resist these things, but, but, but we need to just give in to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Again, remember, we are soldiers in the Lord's armies. In the Lord's army, excuse me. Know your allegiance. Know who your allegiance is to, church. Amen. I'm going to end in just a few moments. The crown of life, which the Lord has promised. This, this crown of life has several titles that are, that are interchangeable. Excuse me. The incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of rejoicing. All these titles are meant to point the believer to Jesus Christ, who is our redemption. It is in his life. It is in his incorruptible person. It is in his righteousness. It is in his glory and his rejoicing that we are saved. First Peter chapter five, verse four tells us. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, which is pretty much your redemption in Christ, your eternal Salvation forever in him, never to be separated for all eternity. You will, you and I will enjoy him forever. That's better than any physical crown we could ever receive. We're going to cast that crown down anyways because he's the only one worthy to wear the crown. James reminds us that it is, it is really worth it to endure under the temptations we face. It is. It's so much better to endure the temptations than to fall into them. When you fall into temptations, you just, you hate yourself after. You feel shame, you feel guilt, you feel down and out, you're depressed, you sulk. You go back into that cycle of sin, repeat, sin, repeat, sin, repeat. You don't got to live like that. I know we're going to sin, but, but you don't got to live like your life is governed by sin. You are a child of the Most High. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. He conquered sin and death. That means all of this stuff can be eradicated from your life. Walk in newness and victory today, church. Amen. Our steadfastness will be rewarded as we demonstrate our love for Jesus by resisting temptation. It goes on this last statement, and I'm going to end with this. It says, to those who love him, this, this, this describes the motive for resisting temptation because our love for God. The passions of sinful temptation can only really be overcome by a greater passion, and that is a passion for the honor and glory and relationship with God. Think about it. What is truly behind your rejection of temptation? What is behind why you resist temptation? You guys can come up. As you mature in Jesus Christ, it should be because, it should be because of your love for Him and wanting to please Him. That should be the guiding factor of why you're resisting temptation because you love God. Right. You don't want to do certain things because, you know, it's going to break his heart and you couldn't live with the shame and the guilt of consciously going against him. But before getting to this point in our walk with God, we, we, we all at one point have resisted temptation because of the fear of man. What I mean by this is, you know, a thief may suddenly become honest when he sees a policeman. Why? Because he just doesn't want to go to jail. It's like uh, all of a sudden got the seatbelt on. You know, hid the crack pipe and whatever. And, I'm, you know, it's like I'm able to put the gum in the mouth. Or a person controls their lust because they can't bear being found out and being embarrassed. Committing adultery against their wife or their husband. And they just clean up because they, they, don't, want, they don't want their family to find out. While others simply resist 
the temptation to one sin because the power of another sin. The greedy miser gives up partying because he doesn't want to spend any more money. You know, I mean, it's true life. These things happen all the time. The application is this. The best motive for resisting temptation is to love him, to love God with a greater power and a greater passion than your love for sin. Simply that love God more than you love sin. Those who endure temptation rightly endure it because they love God. They say to themselves, how can I do such wickedness and sin against God? That's what happened with Joseph. He's like, how dare I sleep with Potiphar's wife? How could I do this horrible thing? May we be those who walk circumspectly through this life, casting our cares before Jesus Christ. May we walk in his strength and his might and remain faithful in and out of season, saying yes to him and no to sin. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, just the fact that you point things out to us. You make it crystal clear how we are to live. Not only that, but you give us the ability and the power to do it through your spirit. Father, there's no excuse for us not to be growing in wisdom and strength and in might and in love and in patience and in steadfastness. Father, may we not abuse your anointing, but may you bless us with that anointing so that we can walk in truth and so that we can grow, so that people around us may see evidence of your good work in our lives and they get saved. Father, please, before time is too late, use us in a mighty way. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen.